Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is September 1st, 2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have together this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength, for keeping us from harm and danger, especially as we are experiencing a storm that's coming through this area. Father, we thank you for for uh, the wisdom that we have that is destined for our glory before time began. We pray that you, you will continue to lead and guide us so that we understand it even better and we can come to know you better. So, Father, we pray for traveling mercies for those who are traveling, for Bill who will be heading out in this storm, uh, for Dave who may, may still be out in the storm, and for all those who, especially for those who are uh, associated with Word is Truth, who are out there in, in harm's way. We pray, pray for uh, uh, that we will have fellowship as we think about our study tonight, that we will come to know you better and cherish the, the fellowship that we have as those who are in Christ. It's, a, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. So we are, uh, our course of study is Romans chapter 9 and verse uh, 23. We went through half of it last week. We're going to try to finish the rest of it. It says, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? We'll, we'll go through this, uh, the rest of it. We didn't finish last week, and uh, we want to cover uh, that second half of the verse. So we do have some opportunity for some Q&A, or it doesn't just have to be Q&A. It could be whatever's on your mind. Uh, so the floor is open. First, I wanted to just point out that I really enjoyed the uh, the Q and A that we had last time. It was a really, really good uh, discussion on there. As did uh, I. Yeah, I thought we had uh, yeah. uh, definitely thought-provoking um, conversation, and you just. When you think about it, those questions that were asked and the topic causes us to really have to think about it and put a lot of things together to be able to try to understand what's happening. Uh, we can, and we have to, after putting all those things together, then we have to think over the top of those things, which gives us, this is where wisdom comes in, it's where God the Holy Spirit begins to... Uh, show us where he's taking us so uh but uh but thank you for that i i also enjoyed our discussion as well uh other thoughts i just wanted to um maybe touch on the idea that um, 
um, you know, a lot, there's several verses. I know Ephesians 3, uh, 20 and 21, um, and also in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that this knowledge, this revelation that God is giving us through the apostles and prophets and teachers, pastors and teachers, um, things that are beyond our imagination, things we couldn't even ask or think. And it's a pretty strong statement to say something like that, uh, especially because some people seem to have a very wild <laughs> imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that uh, I know that there are denominations that um, will talk about lot their lives either past or future lives on other planets and that they have other planets that they either come from or are going to or something. And um, to, to me, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but for God to say something like, you know, this is beyond abundantly more than all we could ask or think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as it says in Ephesians 3.20, it's just, it just blows me away that um, you know he would he would make that claim, but then when we look at every single aspect, the um, what's the, the the manifold wisdom of God, if we take a look at the whole thing all together, then we can appreciate the you know the whole symphony in in one and realize wow this is nobody nobody could tweak together something so perfectly as this. Absolutely. I mean, I'd agree. In fact, uh, some of those scriptures, in, in Ephesians 2, 20 and 21, I think you were referencing. Um, or is it, yeah, but in those scriptures, they go to a place where not a lot of passages go. Um, of course, if you're in Ephesians... <laughs> We shouldn't say that because Ephesians itself uh, is off the chart with one, two, and three. And if you go to the rest of it, four, five, and six, for sure. But, you know, what I was, um, I was looking at 1 Corinthians 2.9, which you, I think you alluded to as well. Uh, it says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. Why do you think uh, it is those words are used for, uh, why did the apostle pick these words to demonstrate or to reveal more about the mystery? Why do you think he did that? Anybody? Well, for one, I would think to show that there is absolutely no way you can rely on a human um, understanding of what's taking place. True. But I mean, uh, and I think there's, there's more than that. I think that's the conclusion you come to, but if, when you look at no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, that is like you, you pretty much along the lines of what you were saying, not human, right? 
if if no human mind or no human ear or or thought could can even con- conceive this then it's not human could we say that We also add in that. Okay. Yeah, could we also add and said uh, none of the rulers of this age understood it? Uh, Or if they had, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. Okay, and then it says, uh, which no eye has seen, or no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived. Uh, I, I, how. The question is, uh, has any angelic mind conceived what God has prepared for the sons of God? Uh, Romans chapter 8 says, no, the angelic mind, they're even yearning. They have a hint, uh, but they don't even know. Um, well, there's two, first Corinthians 2, 7. groaning. Yeah, For, right in the chapter, right there, I would say, go to 1 Corinthians 2.7, which says, uh, No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Uh, so that, and, and then there's, um, I think you were talking about Romans, right? Yeah. But there's also Ephesians 3. Oh which talks about it was hid in God and nobody knew it and then angels we are revealing it to angels but go right ahead with your with your thought no I was just uh, saying uh, you know the scripture here in Corinthians doesn't say it but it says that uh, you know all the creation which includes the angels are groaning for this moment for the sons of God to be revealed Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I think you could almost you could also include angels, um, all creation. Yes, uh, they don't exactly know what the sons of when the sons of what what are the sons of God going to be. In other words, they're waiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, angels are not some beings that know this information in detail. In fact. Only Christ is the criteria for who we're going to be or what we're going to be like. Only the person of Christ. So they're looking at us in terms of only having the deposit or just the first fruits of the Spirit. They can't really know. But I asked that question to see if, if you know, you guys would... Go ahead, you want to take another swing at it, Dwight? Yeah, I want to add some more to that because you're right. There is it's packed. There's a lot in there. Um, I also wanted to point out in Ephesians two seven, um, where it says, "So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." Well, the, the, one of the questions that I would ask is, "Show, show who? Mm-hmm. Who is he going to show this to?" And I think he's going to be revealing through us, um, you know, the riches of his grace and kindness toward us 
um, that no one has ever seen before, even angels, mm-hmm. all created beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when we're looking at um, verse 9, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, um, not only is, is it showing that it's, you know, there's no human origin for this information, it's showing that this information is coming from God alone, who has never revealed it before. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a chance, you know, it's, it's not that somebody wasn't looking at it was there, it wasn't there. It's not that somebody was in the crowd and could have heard if they were listening and were not listening. No, it wasn't even, wasn't even spoken of before. Right. Um, so, so that's what I, and, and you made reference to it in 1 Corinthians 2.7, that mm-hmm. we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And I think that right there is, is key. This is, you know, 100% of God. This isn't a mixture of his ideas combined with our ideas and, hey, let's, let's work this out together and make sure that we're kind to everybody. Mm-hmm. No, God had, God had a plan all along, even before time. And he said, um, you know, like we have pointed out before in other discussions, all creation was created for the reason of his plan, which was... Um, you know, before time. Absolutely. He decreed it before the aging for our glory. Mm-hmm. In, in the second mm-hmm. part of First Corinthians 27. Yeah. Um, so when we think about the, the logistics of it, okay, we're going to get that later, that glory. But when you think about the actual message that is crafted about us, I think it goes more to what you were saying there. And I think when I think about First Corinthians 2.9, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that this information, the reason why no eye could see it, no ear has heard it, or no human mind has conceived it, is because we're talking about God's eternal purpose. God didn't reveal it until Pentecost. And obviously the, where Christ began to be, prepare the disciples, he began to reveal aspects of it. He says, i got much more to tell you. More than you can now bear. But so when we think about what is the information, the information deals with the, the, the eternal purpose of God, which includes the planning, the intentions of his heart, how he came to it, what he wants out of it. So who could possibly know that? There was nobody who could know it, as you were pointing out, because nobody was there but God. There was nobody but God there in the planning. So when we look at words like foreknowledge, predestined, um, elected, all of those words are not words that are related to time. Those things happened before time began. God made those choices before time began. So who could know? Nobody. And then he, and then he hid it within himself, as we saw, he, all of his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, right? This, it was hid in God. All of this, he, he didn't reveal to anybody, creature, no angel, no human being. So now we see why it says what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard. I mean, God could just tell us, hey, nobody heard about this. 
But the reason why nobody heard about it is because there was nobody who was there in the planning of God's eternal purpose, but God. So, so when we see that, we see those words used, and we see that 1 Corinthians 2.7, now we declare God's wisdom a mystery. Right? We declare. We declare. We're talking about it, Paul said. And, and it has been hidden, but it's destined for our glory before, notice, before time began. So think about it. Time is creation of all things. That's when time began. So if this was before time began, and this is the wisdom that we're talking about, what is it? Well, it's God's eternal purpose. That's what it is. Literally, what he planned, what he wanted out of that plan. And then he pulled the trigger and said, okay, plan B, universe B. And God created the heavens and the earth, including planet Earth. Everything was created by God, by the word of his power. That's the execution of his plan. The planning part is what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what has entered into the heart of man. So I think both of, everybody was really touching on, on this, but I just wanted to emphasize that point. We know why. So when, when we read words like foreknowledge, well, how, how would we possibly know what God did in his foreknowledge? Because nobody was there. What would we possibly know of the fact that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son? How could we possibly know that? Because God hid it in himself, all of that. How could we know about the baptism of the Spirit? All of this was ordained before time began. God didn't just say, I want them to be in Christ. He had to figure out the mechanics of how it works. How do we get in Christ? Have a, he had to figure out that there would be a Christ for us to be in. I mean, the whole thing had to be planned. Before he pulled any trigger, he knew every detail of every event that would happen. Before he put it into motion. So I'd say, I'd say uh, that was what I was thinking about, as I, especially going through those verses in Romans and Ephesians. Uh, I, obviously, if I had to teach 1 Corinthians chapter 2 again, I think we even understand more than what we went over when we taught it. Uh, and that probably wasn't four or five years ago. I don't know when it was. Yeah, back in 2017 or something. But I'll pause. Well, I wanted to add, uh, well, thanks for elaborating on, on all that. It is um, astounding what has, what has transpired with the church age. Um, one thing that comes to mind, too, is that um, when we're talking about this um, you know, the hidden wisdom, secret hidden wisdom of God, um, I, I don't believe we're talking about just the Father. I think we're also talking about the Son and the Spirit. So from the very beginning, even before time began, um, they were in on the plan. 
and um, you know, there, because of time, um, his son Jesus would have to perform things uh, or execute uh, parts of the plan um, in in accordance with the father's uh, direction. But what I find interesting is that the um, you know, the, the spirit has been around forever. The, the son has been around forever, but they did not reveal any of this either. Right. So in the times that we have in anointings of the spirit with people in the Old Testament, you know, the, the spirit's not telling them, you know, what, what's coming in the, in the, in the church age. They didn't know anything about the church age. And even, even in Jesus's mission on earth, it's interesting how we didn't just come here and say um, the right way. Start out with, well, I've got something entirely new to show you about. Mm -hmm. Let me talk about that. Mm -hmm. No, he, he met Israel where they were at mm -hmm. and, and did a lot of, a lot of his mission was about reconnecting with them to show who he was. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then it was only his inner circle that he really started to reveal details of the plan. Which, as you pointed out in John 16, um, even Jesus got to a certain point where he couldn't go any further. Mm -hmm. And uh, said to his disciples, you guys aren't ready for this yet. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a flash flood where they just poured out all of this revelation on that generation mm -hmm. that, that Jesus was on earth. Absolutely. And, and I, would I would include in, in that thought that um, being that this information is this exclusive, I mean, only God knew it because only God was there. Angels weren't there. We weren't there. Nobody was there. How is it that we can come to know this information? Well, the only way we can come to know it is by revelation. That means God literally has to reveal it. He has to tell it. And without that, there, I mean, we can't look at the Old Testament and figure it out. We can't. We couldn't possibly understand it from uh, any prophecy. Uh-oh. I heard something. Sounded like a tree fell. Oh yeah, and I remember us. I remember a firefight. Oh man, yeah. hold on, stand by. I thought more warning was coming in. Yeah. More emergencies. Uh, stand, I'm sorry about that. Um. Uh, go right ahead. What, which, what were you saying, Dwight? Um, I was, I was going to say, um, what was I going to say? <laughs> well, we were just talking about, I made the the point that, um, so no one was... Oh, there. I know what it was. Uh -huh. Yeah, okay. I, you know, a lot of people like to say, well, the, the New Testament revealed is what was concealed in the Old Testament. And... We pointed out that no, there, there wasn't even a clue as to what was coming. There's no mention, no hint, no anything about the church age in the Old Testament. 
system, no, it, it wasn't that, you know, there was, it was a, a plan that was already there and they just weren't seeing what was right in front of them. It, it wasn't there. It right. Was, it was kept hidden. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty, pretty much like the same on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've seen the presents wrapped underneath the tree um, up until Christmas morning, and um, you can see the box. You can kind of guess that, all right, it's a small box. It might be jewelry or something like that. And you can, you know, pick and choose that, all right, it's something that's been on this earth before, it fits in that kind of a box. It's not breathing. Um, so I might be able to take a guess at But the wisdom from God is not like that. There was no gift wrapped box that was waiting to be opened. And um, it was just revealed brand new. And even the disciples just weren't. So, yeah, as early as uh, John 13 and 14, um, we're seeing Christ talk about those things. You know, saying statements like, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and he is in me, and I am in you. Mm-hmm. And that's not anything that they've heard before. And and yet, you know, it, it's not until John um, John 3, uh, 16, that, you know, the, the disciples start to say, well, now you're speaking plainly, and we can understand. Right. Now we believe. We're just coming to this now, right? And by, so, right, so that right. in, in John 17, Christ could say, I gave them the words you gave me, and they have accepted them. They believe that you have sent me, and, and so forth. So they, the disciples were, uh, they were in a tough place because of what they had to go through. Where even though Christ said all those things, he died. <laughs> so whether he predicted it or not, he died, and that's tough to come back from. That's not many people can say, yeah, well, you know, I did die and I came back from the dead. You know, <laughs> so not many people will be able to tell us that. Uh, only Christ. So, yeah, I think what you were saying as well was about the information and how it is exclusive. Can we really? blame Israel for thinking that they were God's eternal purpose and all of this was in the absence of not knowing what the eternal purpose was I mean it's not not like God told it I'm talking about in Old Testament times it's not like God said to Israel hey you know I got an eternal purpose that's bigger than Israel so but but I'm you're you're playing a role here not at all. He didn't tell them anything, so they thought whatever God was doing, they were at the very heart of it. Uh, so, of course, when God mm-hmm. shifted gears and wanted to make a change, who who was sitting there with objections? Israel. Of course. Of course. So, while we are like, oh, of course, this is God's eternal purpose, Israel's like, no, <laughs> we're the chosen ones. Uh, no, not Jew- not Gentiles, us. <laughs> but I like our verse that we're coming to next week. Even us, where he says, even us in Romans 9. 
Yes. Uh, and we'll get to that. Whom he called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Even us. We'll talk more about that next week. But uh, we, we're going to have to shift some gears here. Um, closing thoughts? Yes, uh, I was reading commentary on the Believer's Bible, which we'll share another time, but, you know, he's, his, his quote uh, in the beginning of uh, what he thought about First uh, Corinthians 2, 9, is certainly right on. But 2.10, uh, he says that verse 9 does not refer to heaven and is proven by the statement that God has revealed them to us through his spirit. In other words, these truths were foretold in the Old Testament and were made known to their apostles, the apostles of the New Testament era. Uh-huh. In reading, see, in reading this statement, I see that they come closer. I could, you know, if we had time, I could read this, you know, he says, no, this couldn't have been arrived at the psychological inquiries or scientific inquiries, this, these conclusions could not have been reached. He recognizes it was done. Then he goes right there and says, verse 9 does not refer to heaven in his proven statement that God, in, in other words, he's saying that the New Testament was, the Old Testament is something that was not hidden, it was, and it's just revealed in the New Testament. So, you see, he, he doesn't completely understand what the mystery is about. Yeah, I think Dwight even said that. Uh, he made the point there that some people will try to say, yep, um, it was in the Old Testament. It just wasn't, the people didn't know it, though. But now we got the New Testament. It's revealed. But, but it was really in the Old Testament. But that is... That's not what exactly the right. and that's not what the mystery says at all. They're not paying attention to the boundaries of what the mystery says. It says it was not revealed at all. And then we say it it was hid in God, period. So God didn't tell anybody about it. That's it wasn't that he told people and they didn't understand it. He just didn't tell anybody about it. And they can't seem to wrap their theological minds around that. Unfortunately, so to say that it was, how do they say it, Dwight? Uh, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, and wait a minute, I always get this mixed up. The New Testament, you know, the, the Old Testament is the New, <laughs> the New Testament reveals what the Old Testament conceals, right? Right. So they totally miss. And before we, we quit about this thought, we have to say there's two thoughts when we say the new, you know, when they say that. And the reason, one of the reasons why they say that is because they're looking only at salvation. So they, since they are seeing the mystery as related to only salvation, well, they're going to say, oh, well, it was in the Old Testament. But it wasn't revealed the way it is now with these Gentiles and all. So 
in, in some ways, it is true that salvation was, there were types and shadows that were depicted in the Old Testament, animal sacrifices, the reality came in Christ. So when we're talking about salvation, fine, yes, that was fully, more fully revealed in the New Testament. However, the mystery is not about salvation. The mystery is not salvation. So that's the first thing. Uh, it's, not, it's not salvation. It's hard for people who don't see past salvation to um, gravitate to that. That's a problem. The mystery has limitations. All we have done is follow what those limitations are. The mystery is not salvation. It is not salvation uh, to the Gentiles. It is not... I mean, it's not the light to the Gentiles. It's not the fact that we didn't know who Jesus Christ was. Now we see him. That's None of those things are the mystery. The mystery is not Jesus. It's not The mystery is not the Messiah. It's not any of that. And yet, that's where people land it. And then they just kind of dismiss the whole narrative along those lines. But thanks for those comments. Fred, Dwight, uh, appreciate that. Let's see if we can get some Romans in. I know we got um, half of this through. Maybe this will be perfect. We'll have enough time to kind of finish this. So let's move into Romans chapter 9. This is where we are. This is where we covered. Um, scripture is, What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Whom... He prepared in advance for glory. And uh, I write in your notes, If God flexes his muscles, it is not for him to see in the mirror. It is for us to see. We have the freedom to see this any way we want. But God is asserting his right to do what he wants righteously. Since God is good, he can know that his we can know that his purposes will never cause harm. He but he is righteously vying for good that he is essentially. Once we see his logic, we can relax and allow his way. We cannot fight against it, and if we do, it will not hinder it. Apparently, these first century Jews could not abide with God's choices. Can you relax in the arms of God's will? This is what we covered um, points one, and we were in point number two. Uh, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known? So we'll pick up here, and we, well, I know we are, we're at point D, but I just want to cover some quick points. Point A, since God has an eternal purpose that was hidden until Pentecost, there must be ways for God to advertise the results. And we had a couple of scriptures, Ephesians 3, 8, and 9, which says what Paul says, here's the purpose. Make plain to everyone, even to angels, to Gentiles, everyone. And then point B, the riches of his glory. God's description of his eternal purpose. That's when we see a scripture that talks about the riches of his glory. God is referring to his eternal purpose. So we could almost interchange those things. So note, these are the words he uses to describe it. It wouldn't be the word I use to describe it. If, it. if I said something like that, 
people would say I was arrogant. They said, you, riches of glory? What are you talking about? Well, I didn't use those words. Those are biblical terms that God used to convey what he wants, not what I want, what he wants to make of what his eternal purpose is. Riches of his glory. So that's, it's God's description, not ours. Um, and so riches of his glorious inheritance. That's another word. Uh, phrase he uses his incomparably great power for us who believe the rich the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory Colossians 1 27 so these are when you read through those uh, you ought to stop and think about what's being said there don't just read over those and think yeah that's salvation is really something because we're not talking about salvation here Point C, remember, these declarations are not about salvation, <laughs> just so you, for our documentation, but God's intentions with some of those who are saved, not all. And Ephesians 2, 6, and 7 talks about in Christ, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, uh, in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. It's something brand new that we should understand. It is not something old. Okay, so this is where we are in point D. If salvation is of itself glorious, then then we must grasp for words to describe his to describe his eternal purpose and the glory here. This is Romans eight eighteen, and the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, yes. I just want to make the point, salvation is glorious. I mean, what God has designed in salvation and offered to us by grace, not of ourselves, as a free gift, it is glorious. We're not trying to say it's not. Christ is the one who should receive all the glory. That's why it says uh, in Ephesians 2.9, not by works, so that no one may boast. But that word boast means to glory. We shouldn't glory in our salvation that, because we didn't do anything. God is the one who did all the work, and Christ is the one who executed it. God planned it. Christ literally stepped into those shoes, and he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No doubt about it. So there's no glorying in that for us. However, God does get all the glory for it, and salvation is a marvelous glorious event in our lives it changes your eternal destiny your and and then if we're talking this age we haven't even we're just talking salvation in general for the human race you know i was thinking about what is salvation it's like an insurance policy almost you know we take out an insurance policy and really the policy doesn't go into effect until we die so it's really not for us. It's for those who are who we de- of whom we designate as beneficiaries. Now, but we have to say it. It is really not about life insurance for us because it doesn't really help us in our lives. I mean, we don't get paid from our life insurance per se. It's it's not for us. Life insurance is for when you die. And whoever you named, those are the ones who benefit from it. So you're looking beyond your life. 
imagine eternal life is like life insurance for real because when we die we know that we have eternal life right? we have it but it doesn't kick in until after we die we have temporal life here the life we have the living know that they will die or uh, it is appointed unto man once to die and then after that the judgment so we know death is imminent because of what Adam did Adam ate the fruit and God pronounced not just on Adam he pronounced on the whole human race death because of what Adam did so that death all you got to do is look around you want to see some biblical uh, truth just look at death. Death is a part of what God declared for Adam. So the moment Adam sinned, he said, dying, you will die. Everybody born in Adam is spiritually dead and will physically die. And obviously there is. And somebody will say, but hold on. There is that last generation for, of those who will be raptured. Yes, there is. And they won't experience physical death. That's what Paul says. We who are alive and remain. Well, what's going to happen? You're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So you're going to get your resurrection body. You are not going to go into eternity with these bodies of that are still subject to the curse of Adam. So, so just to note, coming back to that, that theme of how glorious what God provided it's it and it doesn't kick in until after this life so you think about what if somebody said this is life insurance well what is this going to do it's going to keep you alive forever no well that's what eternal life is it's a it's a, a quality of life that God has promised us for free it doesn't cost us anything and all and, and all we have to do is place the matter of our soul salvation on the shoulders of Christ. Once we do that, it's fixed. It doesn't matter. You can't lose it. Nobody can take it away from you. Even if you turn around and say, ah, ah, I recant. I don't believe it. It doesn't matter. You have, once you have it, it, you cannot, it cannot be revoked or withdrawn or rescinded or... <laughs> It will not fade away. It is yours, and you will e spend eternity with God. Why? Because it, there are no conditions other than believing. There's no behavior modification. There's no uh, adjusting what you think. or You don't have to take in Bible doctrine. You don't have to grow in grace. You don't have to. It's not dependent on those things. It is simply whoever believes in him will have eternal life they have crossed over from death to life they shall not enter judgment so these are things that are reality so literally it's like life insurance for us but it's eternal life insurance i mean we don't get it until we die but it's eternal life insurance we will christ said he who lives and believes in me will never die never die that's eternal life insurance right there. Anyway, we'll continue this thought. But salvation is glorious. Absolutely. Then we must grasp for words to describe his eternal purpose. 
if we only use glorious, if, that's why we see the unsearchable riches and and boundless wealth and uh, hidden treasures, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of those terms are used for the mystery, the eternal purpose of God. That is the glory that is revealed in us. So if you go to Romans 8 and you look at verse 18, we, we, we discussed, I think Fred quoted this earlier. But he's saying, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That glory. I mean, first of all, the, the, the present sufferings are going to be battlefield glory. In other words, if you suffer with him, you'll be rewarded with him. Right? Christ sojourned on this earth and he... Uh, subjected himself to the Father, even to the point of death. And then, because of that, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that was above every name. Well, if you suffer on this earth, then you will also be rewarded with him uh, along those lines. But what God has done for us is something different. And when you look at Romans 8.18, that's when you should see it. He's saying, even our present sufferings. Well, he just said, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Well, that's one level right there to think about. But here in verse 18, he's saying, uh-uh, I got something bigger than that. And he says it's not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not even worth comparing. So yes, suffering with Christ and on this earth and so the greatest thing God is doing for us is sovereign grace. He chose us in him. The moment he put us in, he chose us to be in Christ before time began, well, automatically he set you up for this glory that is not even worth comparing with the suffering that we're going to go through on earth. So when you think about that and you, you start looking at what, how great that is, what God, his eternal purpose for us has to do with glory. That in itself is blasphemous if we're talking Old Testament theology. It's blasphemous to think. And that's why they wanted to stone Christ when he was here because he was, he was saying that. He was saying, I'm, I and the Father are one, right? He was saying things that made the Jews pick up stones to kill him because he said, this man is saying, he's comparing himself to God. He's trying to say he's equal with God. They didn't know what to do with him. It wasn't in their theology. But you know what? It is in ours. And we say stuff like this and we read stuff like this all the time. And you got to go back to Isaiah where God says, I'm God. And I will not share my glory with another. That's what he says in the Old Testament. So then if you come around saying that there's a glory for you, then obviously it crosses some boundaries, theological boundaries for them. But now we're showing God's eternal purpose. And if God had not told us this, and it was accompanied, by signs, wonders, and miracles. So we know God showed up. We know that he made this. He confirmed these, this message to us. This is not something that we made up. This is something he 
made up, not us. So, so that's when, when we get to these things, the salvation that is so glorious. Oh, yeah, you can say that if you want to. But then you got to come up with new words for that which is not even to be compared with the glory of the suffering with Christ. And that's glorious in and of itself. That's, you, nobody can, not all people can get to suffer with Christ. That's only for those in this age who are sons. And then, once you're a son in this age, there's an extra added privilege is if you suffer with Christ. We already have an inheritance. That inheritance is not even uh, compared, right? Not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If, if your socks are not knocked off, if you're not bowled over by this, then you've got to go back and read it to really see what is being said here. Hopefully you do. Point E, we're moving forward. The riches, the riches of his glory. What is that? Why does God use the term riches? I've heard that term over and over. Wealth, riches, treasures, right? These things get our attention. That's why. If somebody tells you there's, there's riches and it's just, you know, with the, these riches were buried in your backyard, man, you would have so many holes dug up in your backyard and then you'd have to fend off from all the people coming to dig holes in your backyard. So because this is a this is something that garners our attention. Riches. Riches. People think, man, that is something. If I could just have all the money I want, all the wealth I want in this world, I love it. Right? So but God is not saying it's riches in terms of human wealth. These riches are divine wealth. That's how we have to understand them. If he's telling us they're riches, and it's not riches like you got land, you know, a land grant or something. These are riches from, from what God is telling us that come from his thinking that has to do with the mystery. The mystery, the, his eternal purpose is riches. And when you learn that the eternal, eternal purpose has to do with us, It'd be one thing if God said, let me tell you, I'm really this. This is the eternal purpose. I hate it, but let me tell you what I really am. That'd be one thing. But what God did was he said, I'm going to show you who I really am, but I'm going to do it through these people that I have chosen. And these people are going to be endowed with everything I am. And you're going to be able to see me through them. That's how I'm going to do it. So, but, but for me to have to do that, then I'm going to have to bless them with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. For me to do it, I'm going to have to show the incomparable riches of his grace, of my grace, he says, expressed in kindness to them. For me to show you who I am, I got to grace them out. I got to put divine wealth on them to show you who I am. And that's what he did for us. He didn't do, everybody doesn't reflect God's, you know, character and his person. Everybody's not the image of the invisible God. If that were so, then who would he, who would he show it to? I think Dwight was saying earlier, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed. Well, who's he going to show it to? If everybody has it. That's not, that's not the way it works. 
there's only this special few that really uh, qualify as God's eternal purpose. And that's us. And they say, I'm not trying to brag about it, but man, let me just say it this way. We are something. <laughs> we, we are something. Not because of who and what we are, but because of what God made of us in Christ. We're something. And that's what you have to think about. How uh, God crafted this whole plan to make us something. Okay, so it's divine wealth. It's not earthly wealth. In Ephesians 1.3, it says we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It's not earthly. If you look on there, Ephesians 1.3, it doesn't say nothing about earthly wealth. It's all heavenly. Right? Just read it again and read it slow. It's heavenly spiritual blessings. And where are they? In, heaven, in the heavenly realms, not on earth. And then when you read Romans 8.29 and 30, well... The divine wealth is being united to the divine wealthy one. Who's that? Christ. Right? God didn't just raise us up. He raised us up with Christ. Christ is the one who's raised up far above all principality and power and every title that can be named in this age or in any future age. And He's the one that got all that. But again, what God is trying to tell you is that you now are wealthy and powerful because of him. That's 829.30 says, we are conformed to the very image of his son. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. That's Romans 829.30. He glorified us. <laughs> I told you, these words, we, they roll off the tongue so easily, but... Listen, nobody should have the, the glory that belongs only to God. Nobody. If you said, well, they didn't, they objected to Christ saying he had it. But you know what? He has it. And now the fact that we're united to Christ, guess what? We have it. You think they would object to us saying we have it? Absolutely. They would. People do. And all you got to do is read the commentaries. You will find that people were, they will not cross the line. There's a boundary there as far as they're concerned. So we're moving forward. So he did this to make the, the riches of his glory known. And point number three is to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. We're going to go through these first, uh, these five points, and then we'll be done. So, um, first one is we are objects of his mercy this is what this is saying we cannot choose this for ourselves so this is what he says in the context for he says to moses i will have mercy on whom i have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i have compassion that's not romans 9 15 that's in the context what did he mean by saying that to moses well we have to know what prompted that and Moses said, I want to I wanna see you face to face. I want to see your glory. That's what Moses said. And, and it, God is trying to tell Moses, Moses, that's not for you. What a question. But guess who it is for, as we determine? It is for us. We are the ones who are united to the glorious one. So therefore, what does that make us? Glorious with him. We share his glory. So, but God is not saying, 
Moses, I'm going to give this privilege to whom I give it. He could have said it a different way, but this is how he said it. We just have to uh, use the terms that he uses. He will have mercy on whom, on whom he has mercy. That's up to God to say. He, he's saying what, what that means is, I'm going to choose who I want to choose for that. That's what he means by having mercy on whom he has mercy. Compassion on whom he has compassion. God sees that as benevolent. He sees that as uh, kindness, grace. Because people are these people don't deserve it. Like, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve the privileges that God has placed up upon us. How could we possibly say that? Are we smarter than the people in the Old Testament? No. Are, are we more dedicated? Or, or do we have more faith in them? Absolutely not. It's not about that at all. It's about God's sovereign choice. If he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. It's not about, uh, I'm going to I'm uh, you know, we, we have to qualify for for this position that we're in nobody even knew about there would be the mystery remember it was hidden before time began and it's not just jews it's jews and gentiles <laughs> it's not people who were formerly jews people who were formerly gentiles are all called to be in christ so that's point a point b the conclusion then it does not there, therefore depend on human effort or desire, but on God's mercy. So notice, so it's just like when God was choosing Israel, forming the nation Israel. I mean, he could have said Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He could have said that if he wanted to. He could have said Abraham, Ishmael, if he wanted to. But he didn't. He specifically chose Abraham. He specifically chose Isaac, and he specifically chose Jacob, who became Israel. And then he quotes this in the context of what we are talking about. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Now, is he talking about salvation here? Absolutely not. Because when, if you look at the context, He's talking about the twins, whether they before they did any good or bad. It was about God's choice in forming the nation Israel. <laughs> Please, that's what we have to do is stay with the context. If we blow that, then we can make this say anything we want. Well, it would be hard to do it, but people have done it already. And the inconsistencies, well, they live with them. But no, I mean, this is, this is about forming the nation Israel. So when God is forming the church and he chose us in him before the creation of the world and all of that has happened already and people object to that. That's what's going on. So And, and it doesn't depend. You can't vie for this position. You can't say, well, you know what? I'm going to try out for uh, church age. It's not going to work. It doesn't depend on that. God had to choose you. And this is before time began. It's the only way you could be in the church is if God chose you to be in Christ before time began, period. No other way to get in there. And you weren't around, so it doesn't depend on. This is all in the context. So we are the objects of mercy. We are. Israel was, if we're going to stretch it to that, but for a different purpose. Israel's purpose was defined, you know, they're the priest nation of God, through Israel Christ will come, this is God's uh, earthly people, 
right? His model earthly people, Israel, to show forth who God was and his plan, salvation, to the world, to the other nations, right? So Israel was foreknown. Israel was predestined. And this is before time began. God knew all about Israel. But they are not God's eternal purpose. So it does not therefore depend on human effort, but, but on God's mercy. Point C, prepared in advance for glory. So the, to the objects of, of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. All right, so let's think about that phrase. How did God prepare us in advance for his glory? Now, I, when I was in college, I used to have a teacher. And he'd be going through, you know, lecturing. And he, he has such a great uh, volume of information, such a large volume of information. Gosh, we would be confused. I mean, if we were just like, oh, gosh, what's going to happen on test time? Are, are we, are we going to be required to uh, regurgitate all this information and so often we would stop him and ask him you know about the relevancy of what he's telling us to uh, the test is is so he came up with he said you know what I'm gonna do is if it's gonna be a test question I'm gonna put TQ I'm gonna say TQ after I'm done telling you about it. So then you could write in, make sure you make sure your notes have that concept or whatever he was teaching there. So I would say this is a test question. Prepare, um, I, of course, I'm going to give the answer. You, you, don't, you can already know what the answer is. But think about this for yourself. How did God prepare us in advance for his glory? Think about how he did it. What would you say? How, what did God do for us to prepare us in advance for his glory? And I would love to hear uh, what you guys would say. And if I hadn't put the scriptures that I put here, um, I would love to hear what your comments were. But of course, um, we're, we're not, this is not Q&A, but, but uh, Ephesians 1.4, he prepared us in advance by choosing us. And then... If you look at Romans 8, 29, and 30, that's where we were. Let me just, um, since I'm in Romans, there it is. For those God foreknew, um, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, all of this is before time began, right? We weren't there. Angels weren't there. Creation wasn't there. This was all in the planning phase of God before time began, before creation. This is the planning phase. And it's only, only God is there. And only God can contribute to what the mystery is or what the plan is. Only God can do that. Because it's before time began. But what did he do during that space? He prepared in advance us. For his glory. So I would say this is a test question. Because you have to put together things to be able to understand that. So just think about it. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's part of the mystery. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's calling many brothers and sisters into glory. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Now here, this is time, right? Time, justified. But then we skip right past time because that's where we are. We actually believe in Christ and freely justified by his grace. But then he also glorified. Now he skips to the eternal eternity. And this is the state that we, we have. We, God glorified. We have glory in the eternal state. And there's other scriptures we could throw in here to say how he prepared us for this. Uh, we could talk about adoption to sonship. We could talk about um, uh, how when we, when we think about what we were created in his image, how God created man in his image. That's part of the plan because uh, even free will, right? The fact that he created creatures with free will. All of these are part of God's preparation for us in the eternal space. So point D, all human history is to make the riches of his glory known. When you think about that, um, I mean, that, and this is when it says to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for his glory. Right? All of, and the previous one talks about uh, to make his riches of his glory known. So this phrase, uh, I'd say everybody contributes to this. Um, of course, until God's eternal purpose came out, then people didn't know that they were contributing to it. But yes, all of it from uh, a, bro a more broad standpoint, every person that was ever born in Adam contributes. Everything that was created contributes to the riches of God's glory, uh, to the objects uh, of his mercy, those who he chose. Because if it's all about us, the whole thing was about us, then every component part of it contributes to it. We have to say it's about us. I mean, if it was only about Christ, then we would have a Savior, and we wouldn't have the mystery, we wouldn't have the church, we wouldn't have all that, the, the baptism of the Spirit, we wouldn't have <coughs> all of those things that are unique to us. We wouldn't have them, because we wouldn't need them if it was only about Christ. But it's not only about Christ. It's about what God did to unite us to the person of Christ and how uh, and who we are after we're united to the person of Christ. And, and that's what it's about. So it's we got to say that Christ without us is incomplete because that would not satisfy God's eternal purpose according to what he wanted. So... So I say in point D, all human history is to make the riches of his glory known. Yes to us, even us. And the even us comes in, in Romans 9, 24, where it says, are we on the right track here? Yes, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So whatever happens in human history, is a part of creation and the whole of creation was so that God would be able to have these many sons in the glory yeah that's 
how you have to see it. Point E. It is about our Lord Jesus Christ, but not him alone, as we I was just pointing out. It is the Father's eternal purpose to unite us with him, and we are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we have to look at Christ, yes, as our Lord. We have to look at Christ as our Savior. He is everything to us. He is without him. Where would we be? And we we, we talked about on Sunday uh, the importance of in His name, right? When we pray, uh, we pray in the name of Christ. What is that to say? We covered a lot of the detail of that on Sunday. But it just shows you that we don't stand in front of God thinking that we how somehow have a right to be there. It is because of Christ that we can can petition God. It's because of Christ that we can bring our requests known and our thanksgiving and whatever we uh, pray for, we will have as a result of what God has done in Christ. And, and we're in Christ. So we feel who he is. I hope you see this. It might sound a little bit arrogant for me to say that Christ is not complete without us. But it's the truth. Christ is not complete without his body, his, the one who fills him in every way. That filling us in every way is God's eternal purpose. That's, that's what it is. It's, we say it in many different ways. And it's the body analogy that is being used here. So that's about us. Romans 9 is about God's eternal purpose. And once you step away from the fact that it's not about salvation, then you, you, you have to then grapple with what is God's eternal purpose. And hopefully we're trying to make it clear, make it plain, what it actually is. And, and hopefully we should be, especially looking at verses like this, we should be looking beyond salvation right that's what these verses talk about and if if you the commentaries have a hard time with this because for some reason they want to funnel every phrase and whatever it is into a salvation construct and it just does not do justice to what the scriptures are actually saying doesn't pay attention to the boundaries that uh, the scripture itself imposes upon us they're there for a reason, so that we stay within those boundaries. And, and unfortunately, people don't. So we're going to have to stop. And next week, we will continue with the verse in 24, even us. It really goes with this verse. We are the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. Yeah, he did... The, the biggest thing we could say is Romans 8. That's how he prepared us. Well, first he had to choose us. And there's a lot of detail, but yes, yes, we are those he's talking about. Even us. It'd be one thing, we're not going to go into 924, but imagine if he only talked about Israel at this point. But no, he's not talking about Israel. He's talking about the church. We'll get into this next week in more detail.
Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're glad that we had this time this evening. We, we thank you for those who have sacrificed their time and to spend in fellowship with us. We pray and we're, we're so grateful for uh, the scriptures that are before us that talk to us about what you made of us, what you chose for us, what our destiny is. We pray that you, you will help us come to not only know what it is, but come to appreciate it, come to appreciate your plan and bringing many sons into glory. We pray for traveling mercies for those who, who may be out there in this weather. Uh, bring them home safe. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. I hear your phone going off like crazy.